Hello everybody, it's Julie with Hefzibah Talks A Lot. And I was going to do a segment and then I wasn't and then I was because that's just the way my mind works. But the thing is, it's pretty interesting and I'm, I'm going to be pretty raw with y'all for this segment. Not like I haven't been raw for other segments, but I'm entering one of the seasons. So if, if all of you read the Bible, you're aware that there's a portion of scripture that talks about how there's a season for everything. And we all know, believing the Bible or not, that there are seasons. Spring, winter, summer, fall. Seasons in our lives. So for me, one of the most frustrating things is when I enter the season of desire. And I'm not talking about sexual desire. I'm just talking about that longing for love season. It really sucks. And honestly, I'm going to tell you, I was really good at lying to myself about that for years and years and years. And it kept me from having to deal with the emotions that come when you enter the season. And it was pretty funny because, I shouldn't say it was funny, but I mean, looking back it was... um, years ago, um, in my mid twenties or thereabouts, there was a sermon about lying to God. And I told God, I don't lie to you, do I? And he said, you lie to me all the time. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So basically he pointed out to me that I lie to him when it comes to the desire to marry and fall in love and all that jazz. Now, don't get me wrong. I mostly believe that. And it's mostly true. Um, I don't burn with lust. Um, I'm not in a hurry to marry. But it was the lie that I wanted it at all. Or I should say I didn't want it at all. That was the lie that God was addressing that day. So when he told me that, he orchestrated the timing so that there was a very attractive uh, guy that kept coming into my work. And so I had to deal with like this onslaught of emotion that I'd been suppressing and controlling for years. And it was a major struggle. So I'm glad that I'm past that. But that doesn't make these seasons any more easy to handle. So back when I was able to deny everything, I could just push all these longings and feelings in a box. And I think Christianity, unfortunately, makes that very easy for a lot of people because... We are told, which is true, that lust is wrong. However, we're not told that love and marriage and desire in that natural way is okay and is natural. So we end up squelching and compressing and pushing down and trying to keep ourselves from having to experience love or any kind of connection outside of the standard living of life. So I'd gotten very good at that too, not because the church told me that anything was wrong, but because I have an intense fear of it. So let's just be candid about that. The problem is that now it seems like they've been coming more rapidly. I don't even know. And I just, I hate it. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I, back when I would pray about this with God and I'd be like, this is just ridiculous, God. There's like no prospects at all so the the thing about 
dealing with this thing. It's not like I have a crush. It's not like there's a guy I'm interested in. It's not like there's even a remote possibility of anything. And so you have to deal with these emotions and these natural seasons of longing with like the absolute knowledge that it's not going to be possible, which is like, I think that makes it a little harder, honestly. And so a while back when I was talking to God about that, he told me, you can have what this world wants to give you. You could go out tonight and meet a guy. You could even date the guy without not having a one night stand, you know, but you could have a one night stand. You could go out there and meet a guy in a bar and sleep with him. You could meet a guy and, and let him start dating you and then sleep with him. You can meet a guy and let him date you and never sleep with him. You can do all of these things and you can have what this world wants to give you, but it's crap, you know? I'm not to say that you could eventually have a relationship that started out worldly and turns Christian, but the chances of that are very slim. So yeah, I could go out there and I could handle this season of loneliness or this season of desire in a way that's unhealthy and detrimental to all that God has for me and all that he's called me to. But I believe that God has a person in mind for me. And if marriage is in the cards for you, I use the word cards, I should just say if, if marriage is what God desires for you, he has a person in mind for you as well. Though you could go out and find somebody else, that's totally on you. So people are saying that the reason Christians are having trouble finding love is because they're too picky, but aren't we allowed to be? Aren't we allowed to be selective? If you really think about who we are, we're royalty. Can royalty marry just anybody? So don't we have a right to desire and be selective? The world will tell you no. The world will tell you that you will remain single forever being selective. You will never meet that person, but it isn't on you to meet that person. It's on God to bring the two together. That's not to say that your list will never change. I used to have a list that probably had about 15 to 20 items on it, and now it just has about four. So, am I selective? Yeah, because the four things on my list are non-negotiable. The ironic thing about life is that people will tell you that you don't need to be attracted to the person or that looks don't matter. Let's put it that way. That's the way you've heard it. Looks don't matter. We all know that's a lie. People don't want to appear like they're shallow. But let's be like brutally honest here. Looks matter. I have to be attracted to him. I'm not just going to marry some Joe Schmo because he has a good resume. Or maybe because he asks me. Once had a Taco Bell hot sauce packet ask me to marry him. That was a joke. I didn't laugh, but it was. I'm sure you got that. But people will sit there and on their pompous thrones of mightiness they will say that looks don't matter but let's face it dude you have to be attractive to me I'm not gonna marry you just because you look good on paper the passion isn't there if the spark isn't there what's the point why would I give myself over to marriage which is a form of I was gonna say bondage guys you have to understand my life is very strange <laughs> if you listen to any of my podcasts you know this so why would I Join myself to a man, letting him be the headship of my life, suddenly having to think of another person, and I don't mean that like in a cold way because I do think of others, but I mean before I do simple things like invest in a lens ball, which I just did. If you don't know what a lens ball is, it's a 
photography quality lens quality glass orb sphere or ball that you use in your photography now it's only forty dollars but if i had a husband would i be free to just spend forty dollars that frivolously or would i have to discuss that with him more than likely it'd be a discussion so why would I enter into a marriage where I am suddenly subject to the rules of God's word that says that wives need to submit to their husbands and this is not an abusive thing and this is not a controlling thing. It's a love thing. It's a surrender thing. Why would I do that if I wasn't attracted to the guy? Because honestly, without the attraction, what is the flipping point? So you all can get off your little high horses that looks don't matter line that is thrown out there you have to be attracted to the guy unless you're marrying for money and that says a whole lot more about you than saying that you're marrying because a guy was like amazingly hot or the woman was amazingly beautiful looks matter now the standards of attraction those are very you know i think colin firth playing mr darcy is one of the most attractive men in the world and you probably don't even care i happen to think that chris pine is very attractive Okay, so see, that's the problem. There is no guy here that I can tell you is cute. But I can tell you all these celebrities. It's a safety thing. Very good. So what's the point then? I am at this season. And I'm thinking about things. And I'm like, this just sucks again. Because I'm not in a rush. But in these blasted seasons, it just... Oh, come on. Throw me a bone, you know? I mean, give me something. I have to sit through these seasons like I'm 38 years old and there's no attractive Christian single guys like anywhere in the sphere of my reach of any form of interaction or even hope. And it's just like, why am I going through this season then, God? Seriously, can you just, can I just have a delay on the seasons? I mean, some places don't have spring or fall they just have summer and winter it's like leaping from one to the other can we just do that like seriously can i just like skip this all together the fire of refinement is important i believe that we have these seasons even without the remote possibility of hope so that when the time comes, in season or out of season, you're not going to necessarily fall in love during a season of desiring that very thing. God doesn't work on our timetable or our understanding. There's a song that says, sometimes the snow comes down in June. <laughs> sometimes you fall in love when you're not even looking for it. In fact, that's what many people say. When I stopped looking, that's when I found love. Well, bully for you. <laughs> I don't know how true that is for every person that says it, but I do believe it is true in some occasions. But when that does happen, you will look back, I will look back, on all the seasons when hope wasn't even a glimmer on the horizon. It wasn't even a speck. It wasn't even like there to even try to reach for. You couldn't even reach for hope. It wasn't even like in vision it was like you're in america and it's in china you can't even see it and you're going to look back on that and say god in all those seasons 
you were refining my soul to appreciate the value of the love you give to me when the answer does come. I can be very strong. Part of it, I think, is the fact that there is no hope. There is no prospect. There is no temptation. There is no distraction. I can be very strong. And I think maybe that's another point of the seasons. To be strong. To set your boundaries. To establish what you desire. To realize through these seasons that I'm not going to settle for the world's trash. I'm not going to meet a guy just to have a guy because I'm lonely or I'm desiring that. I'm going to wait for the best. And should the best never come, it never comes. If I should never marry, I never marry. But I've never compromised in those seasons. As difficult and painful as it is to remain strong sometimes. Guys, I'm not, I'm not talking about like the temptation to go to a bar, okay? I'm going to be honest with you though. I've, I've gone on to like what are they matching dating sites I get on those stupid things for maybe like five minutes and then I'm just like oh my gosh it's so stupid I don't even have the time for the vapid waste it is and I'm not knocking people that have met their true loves on there do not read too much into that we are individuals dating sites to me are a vapid waste of nothingness and God has called me not to engage in those I don't know why in those seasons of loneliness, I dabble with them. And I never chat with anybody. I never take it any further than just like opening up the site and checking it out and then leaving and going, what a waste of time that was. But I mean, the point is, here I am in this season. Hope is in China. I'm in America. <laughs> the season will pass. But I'm at the very start of it. And it is just... I'm dreading another season of this crap. Making me stronger. God has a reason. God has a purpose. If you're in that season, and maybe there's a temptation, I pray that you have the strength to just trust God and wait. Trust Him and listen. To not pursue that temptation. The devil gets us in two ways. Gives us through the constant, consistent denial so that we're so beaten down and feeling so ugly and worthless and unloved that when he brings somebody by, we throw everything away, believing this is our only shot at love. The other way is just constantly giving you the availability until you give in. Constantly having guys have girls after you, constantly having opportunity constantly going on dates, constantly meeting new people, constantly entering new relationships until you're finally like, screw this, I'm just going to move forward. So I pray that you have the strength to just hold out, to truthfully and completely and honestly seek God in these seasons so that when you do step forward, it's because God told you to, not because your flesh or the season told you to that you decide that you will wait on the Lord for his best and take whatever he has to give you 
in the season that he brings it. Thanks for listening. Hi there. So for this second segment of this podcast, I was thinking this morning about how we need to find our identity and value in Christ. And it's very easy for us to say that. Um, Just like it's easy for us when someone is feeling down or their self-esteem is taking a hit or whatever, for us to look at them and, and, you know, just calmly tell them, you know, oh, you're a great person or, oh, you shouldn't feel like that or whatever. When in truth, it's not something you can just shrug off. In most cases, you definitely can't just suddenly feel that way, feel better about yourself, feel good about yourself. So yesterday, uh, my pastor mentioned about finding our identity and our our value and our worth in Christ. And then uh, before that, in my hermeneutics class, the and I know I totally butchered that word, so don't judge me. (laughs) Um, He was talking about how we need to be firmly fixed on who we are in Christ, what he's called us to, in order for us to be empowered enough to stand for Christ and do what we need to do. For many of you that are Christians, you can really truly see how compromising individually and corporately Christians have been. We excuse sin in our own lives, and we excuse sin in the lives of those we love and care about, and then we excuse sin in the church. It's a blatant and obvious departure from the holiness that God has called us to. But how can you stand for holiness if you can clearly see your sin and darkness? You feel like a hypocrite, right? And that's the catchphrase of the day. People want to call everybody a hypocrite. How dare you judge me on my sin? You're a hypocrite. Well, there's a few things to know, first of all, before we enter into this identity thing. And The first thing is, it's not judging to tell someone that something is sin. If the Bible calls it a sin, it's a sin. And for us to point out that something is sin is not judgment. The judgment feeling is coming from Holy Spirit bringing conviction. Now, judgment is me telling someone to go to a certain place. The blasé way that people say go to H-E-L-L to people on movies, in person, and whatnot, that is judgment. That is wrong. Aside from just being plain rude and stupid, it's wrong. (laughs) For me to tell someone you are going to go to, that's a form of judgment. Now I can say, if you haven't accepted Christ, you will find yourself in hell. That's the truth. The Bible says that. I'm not declaring judgment on you. I'm not saying that that is where you are going. I am not God. I can't say where you are going. I can't see your heart. I can't see your life laid out before you. So pointing out what sin is, is not judgment. Dictating where a person's soul will end up, that's judgment. And we have no power and no place to do that. The other thing is hypocritical statements. Now here's the thing about a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite... If you're pointing out someone's sin while being a sinner. Because if that was the case, then none of us could ever preach God's word. (laughs) Because we're all sinners. You're a hypocrite 
if you either point out someone's sin pretending or claiming to be perfect, claiming to be sinless, or you point out someone's sin while doing the exact same thing. So for example, if I wanted to correct someone on being a fornicator, while I myself am living in sin with somebody, and we are common law married, which isn't really being married, which means that we've just lived each other with each other long enough and have enough corporate things, bills and whatnot, that we are considered married by the state. Though we've never taken the step of committing ourselves and binding ourselves legally in the eyes of witnesses with a pastor or a judge. I'm not going to be all. You have to get married by, in a church. I'm going to say that, but. So for me to tell someone that fornication is a sin while living a fornication relationship is hypocritical. Me telling someone fornication is a sin after I've lived a fornicating relationship, stopped it, repented, and turned away from that lifestyle, not hypocritical. Therefore, parents, yes, you can tell your children not to engage in sex outside of marriage, even though you did so. It is called learning from your choices and telling someone not to do it. If you ever got addicted to drugs and you told someone not to do drugs because they're addictive, does that make you a hypocrite? No, it makes you wise. You're telling someone what not to do because you've done it and you have seen the effects of those actions. So telling someone not to do something because you have either done it or seen it happen in another person's life is not judgment and it is not hypocritical. It's only hypocritical, as I said, if you are pretending to be blameless, perfect, and sinless, or are conducting the sin currently in the moment that you're calling out the sin yourself. That's when it's hypocritical. So if you're not doing those two things, and you're not telling someone where they're going to end up, like straight up, you're going there, not this, if you continue this path, the Bible tells us this is your destination, or this is the outcome. But if you're telling them, go to this place, or you are going here, that's judgment. People are okay with you saying you're going to go to heaven. That doesn't bother them at all. <laughs> That's a form of judgment. You know? Oh, you've done this, you're going to heaven. I guess judgment probably isn't the right word, but we are, going to, we are all going to face judgment. It's just depending on if Jesus is your judge or if he's your savior. If he's going to stand there and defend you because you're covered by his blood. Or if he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's the scariest scripture ever. And maybe we'll talk about that at some point. But moving on to self-worth and value. It really is a scary scripture, God. I could be sitting here. I get my degree in seminary degree. I could lead the masses to you. Do these podcasts.
one of the things that is so important to consider is that you'll never make everybody happy, ever. Because we're so uniquely different that no matter what you do and what you say and who you are, you're going to have people that don't like you, people that come against you, people that straight up hate you. You're going to have people that are okay with you and take it or leave it. And people that really like you, people that love you. You're going to have varying relationships like this, no matter your level of fame. You're never going to be fully accepted. Once again, no matter your level of fame. Consider for a minute celebrities. There are celebrities you really, really like and celebrities you don't. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with their political stands or their beliefs. You just don't like them. You don't like the way they act. You don't like the way they look. You just don't like them. You don't like the types of movies they make. Used to be real popular say, I don't like your face. <laughs> Sometimes I can feel that way with celebrities. There's no real justification for it. You just don't like them. Sometimes you don't like a celebrity or a political figure because of what they stand for. Straight up. I'm not talking about parties here. I'm not talking about Republican, Democrat, Independent. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying you may be Democrat and there may be a Democrat politician you don't like because they stand for things opposite of what you believe or what you stand for. doesn't matter if you're in the same party or not, right? Let's get closer to home. There's a coworker that just rubs you the wrong way. A family member. Maybe for legitimate reasons. They're destroying their lives. It just ticks you off. Or you just don't like them. <laughs> it happens. I'm not talking about love. That's a completely different thing. We need to love people. We need to love our family. But you just don't like people. It's fine. Not all people, but certain people. So if I, by trying to establish our worth and value in people and how they feel about us, we will always find ourselves in a place where we're miserable because never, it's never going to be that everybody likes us, ever. Once you come to that reality, it doesn't make you be one of these people that are just mean to everybody because they're like, I don't care, people aren't going to like me anyway. That's just a very unhealthy attitude to have. But you get to a point where you're like, I get that they don't like me, and that's fine. I'm not going to press the issue to get them to like me, and I'm also not going to press them to get them to hate me <laughs> more. Trust me, guys, you don't have to do anything to get people not to like you. I'm serious. You could be the nicest, brightest, shiniest star in the sky, and people will find a reason not to like you. It's just the way human nature is. So anytime we try to establish our value and worth based on that premise, we are going to be miserable. So learning to look at Christ and how he sees you, the value that he places on your life, that makes it a lot easier to love yourself and to see your value and worth in Christ and to live your days accepting that you have value and worth.
we know just from Jesus laying down his life that we have intrinsic and great value in our lives regardless of anything we do or don't do. Now, that's not to say just do whatever you want. If any of you know me at all, I am not one of those sloppy grace people. I don't believe you can just keep sinning under the guise of grace. I don't believe in that. This is to say that I do have areas in my life where I struggle and God has to help me, obviously, daily to overcome my sin habits and my rebellions and my choices. I'm not claiming perfection. It's not going to happen this side of heaven. I'm not one of those believers that believes that one day here on earth will just be absolutely perfect. I don't believe that. But it doesn't matter what the world's standard of beauty is. God calls me beautiful. And it doesn't matter what the world's standard of success is. Every day that I continue to walk with God, that I do my best to obey and follow His will for my life and do what He wants me to do, every time I do that, He considers me successful. I run my race, I run it well, I'm successful. Doesn't matter if the girl in the cubicle next to me doesn't like me, if I annoy her. I can come to God every day, no matter what mood I'm in, no matter what clothes I'm wearing. I can say whatever's on my mind. And he'll walk me through the crazy trees and he'll walk me through the calm seas. It doesn't matter. His love for me doesn't lessen. He never says, I just don't like you. Go away. Ever. So when the world has turned its back, I still have God cheering me on. When the world doesn't believe I can do it, God is telling me I can. And with all of that, knowing all of that, you add into the equation the fact that he has uniquely called and equipped you to do something that no one else can do. And that's pretty amazing. Because if you think of all the billions of people before and after you, and even now during your time of life. But only you can do what God has called you to do the way that he has designed it to happen. Now, if you refuse to do God's will and answer his call for your life, and you decide to go your own way and whatever, he can take someone else to take, it, take that step and do what needs to be done to require the forward motion of his will and to require the salvation of another. It just won't have your touch. And there was something about your touch to that special call that made a difference. You have intrinsic value. This world isn't going to see that. It never will. This world is so fickle that even if you rose to fame, they would turn their backs on you the minute it was in their mindset to do so. The minute it was in their best interest. It amazes me how many times people will support somebody until something comes out about this person. Oh my gosh, they're human? And then they turn on them at the drop of a hat and join the mob outside their house. I'm not saying to stand by someone's darkness, but standing by the person is different than standing by their actions. So be able to say, you know, I had no idea this was going on. I had no idea this was an issue in this person's life. I stand by the individual. I don't stand by their act. But I still believe that this is a person that has value. I believe this is a person that can contribute and we need to deal with the sinful thing they did or the 
illegal thing they did or the lawless thing they did or the cruel thing they did and we need to stand by them and get them help. If they have to serve time in jail, then that's so be it. If it's something that they did that was that bad. But it's amazing to me how quickly someone will cover something up or completely abandon a person. Wash their hands of association. Because they don't want to be tied to that, and I get it. But God doesn't do that to us. We are the darkest, deepest, evilest of people, and Jesus still stands beside us and says, I have paid the price for this person. I have redeemed this life. Yes, she told a lie yesterday, and it was a whopper. But I still stand with her. She's repented. We're working through it. Just know that, guys, that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you've done, if you are in Christ, He is standing with you. He's not like these other people running off, abandoning and washing their hands of you. He stands with you. He has called you, He will equip you, and He will be there with you. Your value and your worth are in Christ. And I have gone really long. This podcast is going to be like over 40 minutes or around 40 minutes. So I'm going to cut off here and maybe my next podcast, I'll go a little more into identity. Um, but start with what I've just talked about and then move forward from there.